All right, let's turn to Revelation uh, chapter 2, verse 12. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. <clears throat> Clear my throat. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. Now keep in mind that this was written at A.D. 100. Now there's, there's a couple of theories about what these... Uh, seven letters mean. Um, and really, it's amazing because it has so many different things you can get from it. It was a literal... Okay. It was a literal letter to a literal church that was on the earth at that time. This church was alive on the earth at that time. A group of people meeting together just like we do. But not only that, there's other people that believe that you can see symptoms of these churches, if that's a, maybe not the right word. Some of them it would be symptoms, but some of it, good things from these you can see in churches all over the world. But the one that I like the most, because I love prophecy. I, I tell my youth I love prophecy since before I was even a Christian. Um, is that it points to a time period, a phase that the church would go through. And generally speaking, the church in the majority, now there's little churches that do different things, but the majority of the church will go through all seven of these phases. Do y'all know that? Have y'all ever heard that before? Is this kind of new? All right. So, where was I going with that? I hate it when that happens because you get up here and you're like deer in the headlights. And you're going, where did it go? Where did it go? Come back. Well, if I could act like when I'm talking to the youth, man, I just, you know, so I'll get relaxed in a minute. Okay, so these are seven letters to seven churches, and it, so, so many times in Scripture, there is an immediate meaning, there's an immediate fulfillment, but it also points to something in the future, a larger fulfillment. And it's amazing how God can do that, how He can make something happen immediately, but then have a humongous picture that points to some prophecy down the road. Like Antiochus, what's his name? Antiochus. Antiochus IV, who was a literal person about 135 B.C., but then it also points to the Antichrist. So that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. All right, uh, letter to Pergamum. Uh, verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says, I know where you live, where Satan's throne is, and you are holding on to my name and did not deny your faith in me. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan lives. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the sons of Israel to eat meat sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. In the same way, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans or Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent, otherwise I will come to you quickly and fight them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone. And on the stone a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. 
Okay, let's just jump right in here. Verse 13. Verse 13 says, I know where you live, where Satan's throne is, and you are holding on to my name and did not deny your faith in me. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan lives. Okay. Where is Satan's throne? What a profound statement. There church was where Satan's throne is. Now, what I have read is that there was an altar to Zeus set up in Pergamum, okay? So Zeus is like the god. He's at the top of the myth, mythological. And they had an altar set up for him. So a lot of people believe that that is what he's referring to, is that Satan's throne is that Zeus, uh, this uh, altar, this humongous idol worship, is there, but but the point that I want to make to us is that where is Satan's throne at? It's on earth. Where are we at on earth? Where is God's throne? In heaven. See the difference? God's throne is in heaven. Satan is on earth. Now here's the thing. Like I said in the beginning, you're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. Okay. So he gives a little bit of love to some of these because they are faithful. They have not denied his name, even when someone was killed and martyred for living for Jesus. They're living where Satan's throne is, but they're still living for him. But not everybody is on board. Okay, look at verse 14. But I have a few things against you. You have some who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the sons of Israel. All right, this is a good story. And God gave us a lot when he gave us that. How many of y'all know a donkey can talk? At least it did one time. But that's not what I want to focus on tonight. He, listen, the doctrine of Balaam is very sneaky. Okay? It's very sneaky, the doctrine of Balaam. Let me go through the story real quick. So the Moabite king, he sees Israel coming through the land. God is parting the waters and raining down fire on the Egyptians. And the, the seas are closing up on them. Not even mighty Egypt can do anything to these people. So he's shaking in his boots. He hears all these stories, right? So then he goes and gets a magician, and he says, I will pay you whatever it takes if you just curse these people. Curse them! Because I don't want nothing to, get to happen to me and my people. Okay? But guess what happens? Look at it. Willie's getting excited. Every time he opens his mouth to pronounce a curse, he pronounces a blessing. He can't curse them. Who's in control today? God. If God be for us, who can be against us, right? Um, who shall lay a charge at the elect's feet? It's God. He gave His Son for us. They can't do nothing to us. So every time He wants to pronounce a curse on them, He opens His mouth and pronounces a blessing. And He told the duty so that this king is going nuts. He's like, what are you doing to me, man? You're making it worse. Every time you open your mouth, you're blessing them. Shut up! And then, okay, so he's like, look, I'm going to give you, I'll give you everything to do. And the guy says, look, I don't care what you give me. I can only do what God lets me do. Okay? All right? But, but, there's a little bit of a problem because he figures out he figures out how to get behind that wall. He figures out. 
He says, I can't curse them, but guess who can? God. God can curse them. So what does he teach them to do? He says, this is what you tell them to do. You take and you have yourself a big party and you call down to all these big boys and get your beautiful women out there and you get them to intermarry. God told them, don't intermarry with these people. What's it because of the color of their skin? No! Don't be a dummy! God is more interested in what's in here than what's on out here. So here's the thing. He knew if you get the woman in the house, brother... And if you ain't man enough to stand up to her, you're going to start doing what she tells you to do. Assuming, my lady, she's not on your side. Fortunately for me, she is on my side. All right? So, at least she was. Um, Go to this side. So, if you intermarry, you know, what happens? You lose your sanctification. You start eating a little meat that, to the pigs, okay? You start eating a little bacon. Man, that bacon ain't too bad, girl. Well, that's how we do it in the Moabite land. We eat pig. And then he says, well, I got to go down here and celebrate the Passover. And the, the girl says, well, we don't celebrate Passover in, the, in this land. So what happens? You start letting go of some of your stuff. The stuff God is telling you to do. What y'all laughing about? I see Alicia looking at you. I'm up here tonight. I call you out. All right. Think about it. <laughs> so, so you start to let go of some of your stuff, and God would know that that would happen. You start losing sanctification. Next thing you know, you're eating meat, sacrificed to idols, and you're worshiping an idol. That's what God was concerned about. And that, when they do that, God knew. I mean, excuse me, Balaam knew that God would be the one to curse them. So what does that tell us? We can't be attacked from the outside, but we can be destroyed from the inside. It's worldliness. It's worldliness. Now, what is worldliness? That's what we need to to figure out. Because, see, this is exactly what happened in church history. Now, let's look at church history. Smyrna. How many of y'all know what Smyrna is? Raise your hand, Willie. Raise your hand, Ken. Smyrna. You know what Smyrna means? It means bitter. It's the word we get myrrh from. What does myrrh have to do with? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. If I can't remember nothing else, I remember that. Myrrh has to do with death. And here's what happened. Satan, here's this new church from Nero all the way to Diocletian or something. What's that guy's name? Something like that. These Roman emperors, they're persecuting them and murdering them, killing them. Nero takes them and he lights his garden with the bodies of Christians so he can walk around at night. This dude was a nut. And he, look, all these guys are killing We've heard the stories where they take the Christians, they put them in the, uh, yes, Colosseum. And they had their lines, rip them apart, but these people were bad, man. They believed in Jesus and they meant it. They gave their lives unto death. So Satan says, these people, I can't do nothing with them. I can't get into them from the outside. I can't destroy them. I can't curse them. I can't stop them. I've killed them all, and there's more keep coming. What am I going to do? Guess what he figures out? He says, 
I'll do the old Balaam trick. I'll get in through the back door. So what does he do? Here comes Constantine. Oh, Constantine. Okay? On one hand, that should be a good thing. The Roman emperors, they, he, he says, look, we're going to stop killing these people. The story goes that he sees a vision of the cross and that under this sign we will conquer. So they take the cross and they put it on the shield. So the story goes, I wasn't there. And they win the battle. So now Christianity is cool. It's like, we're not going to persecute the Christians anymore. What happens when that happens? Okay, good. But that is where we start to get worldliness in the church. And what are the examples? Let's see. What would be a good example? Exactly. Church buildings. that's, That's one thing I read. That's good. That they started, instead of meeting in people's homes, they started using these basilicas, and they turned them into churches. So now you have this ordinate, beautiful thing on the outside, to man's eye. You have the clergy start wearing nicer clothes, and they're starting to get money. You have a coin that has um, the cross on one side, I believe, and then on the other is some pagan sun god. So what? this is what he did. He says, yes, you can have church, but he didn't put down all of the idol worship either. He let that keep going too, just like a lot of them did in Israel. It would say, well, he, he, you know, he started worshiping God, but he never took down the high places or the Asherah poles, some of these uh, Israelite kings. So you let that stuff start to get inside. And when that happens, that's when you get trouble. So think about it. God calls us to be separated He calls us to be in the world, but not of the world. So, letting worldliness in is not only what we're doing when we're here together, but I think a lot of it is what you're doing during the week. A whole lot of it is what you're doing during the week. See, think about it. Just like the children of Israel, they start eating a little bit of pig. They just start letting a few things go, right? You know, it's like us. We say, you know, we'll do a little bit of this. We'll live like the devil all week and then come on church on Sunday and raise our hands and everything's going to be all right. God is not going to bless it. And nothing's going to happen. And preacher, I've been listening to you talking about the power in the church. And I'm going to tell you, God is not going to bless you in your junk. Just like you said this morning. You, that is so much of what's wrong with the church today is that The people out in the world, they can't tell the difference between the Christian and the saved person because the Christian is drinking, smoking, raising cane, and dancing at uh, phase two. And then they come on Sunday, and the dude out in the world is like, that don't mean nothing to me. You're just like me. What's the big deal? Worldliness has crept into the church. And here's the thing. We cannot be attacked from the outside, but we can be attacked from the inside because what happens is it weakens this. And so we call people down here to pray for them, to get healing, and then nothing happens. Well, I'm going to tell you what, coming down here and praying on Sunday morning ain't going to make the difference. That's part of it. But how you live during the week. Because, see, God sees it all. 
we, so many people, it drives me nuts. They act like God don't see them during the week. And then you come down and you say, oh, Lord, I'm in so much trouble. Please help me, Lord, oh, my God. Look, you got to live for him in the little things. you got to live for him during the week in the what you're watching, what you're listening to. And here's another thing. Coming on Wednesday night. Coming on Sunday night. Do you care? And that's and I think it has so much to do with faith. Because you said, He's not going to bless you in your junk. And you get clearly from Scripture, He says, that He would go to towns and He was not able to do many miracles because of the lack of faith. Think about that. Jesus was held back by a lack of faith. Do you really believe, like I said last week, do you really believe there's a hell? Do you really believe there's a hell? Do you really believe there's a heaven? Because I'm going to tell you, a lot of people don't act like it. They don't act like it. If, if heaven is real and if I really believe that, I would gladly give up all of this. But see, that's, that's the crux of the matter, faith. Do I really believe what it says? Am I going to change what I'm doing? Am I going to stand up to my friends? Am I going to stand up to my family? Because look, the word Pergama means married. Another word it means is elevation. And what happened at this time is that you have the church being intermingled with the state. You had the church intermingled with the state. And you have worldliness start creeping in. And I've read stuff where there's different festivals that started at that time and a lot of stuff. Probably some of the stuff we, we even still celebrate today. I don't know that for a fact. But, but even at that, you have stuff. I'll just say it. Easter. Think about it. Easter. What does eggs have to do with Jesus? But see, I, I'm no better. Because, I, I mean, it's like, y'all got to go to bed. He's funny. He's coming in the morning. I do the same thing. To see, do we really believe it? That, that to me, East, the word Easter takes away from what Jesus did. He resurrected. He came to life. But we still do it. Christmas the same way. I mean, <laughs> you got your hand smacked. See, okay, and moving right along. No, you're fine. That's another thing that's been on my mind because I can hear it when you're up here talking, and I see it when the preacher gets his hand smacked. What does that mean? That's my way of saying somebody got on him for something he said. And it's like, why does he have to apologize for telling the truth? Why does he have to apologize? Why does somebody have to go on Facebook? He's never said this to me, so don't nobody get no imaginations of what I'm talking about. All you got to do is pay attention. 
Why do people go put their junk on Facebook talking down about the preacher when he's telling the truth? Because they're baby Christians. Or are they Christians at all? I don't know. Alright, moving on. In the same way, verse 15, in the same way you also have those who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Does anybody know what that is? Nico means to conquer. Lations is a word we get laity from. To conquer the people. During this time period, that's where you start having bishops. And you start having people that are overseeing other groups. And then, of course, you see it develop. All right, I'm going to just say it like it is because we get worried that somebody's going to get offended. But it has its fulfillment in the Catholic Church. And God, here's the thing that gets me, man, it's written right here, don't do that. And yet we tiptoe around something, I don't want to offend nobody. Brother, if, it, if, it, if Jesus said, if you are offended in me, if you are offended in me, does my words offend you? And I'm going to tell you what, there was some that was offended. The Pharisees, think about it. Okay, so if you flip to, let's flip real quick. Matthew 23.8. Matthew 23.8. Come on, Kenneth. He's digging. Look at him. Matthew 23.8. It was never designed, the church was never designed to have a hierarchy. There's no hierarchy. There are offices, but no man is above another man. Let me tell you something. And the Pope is a man just like me. My grandma would say, he puts his, shoe, his pants on one leg at a time like I do. And he's going to answer to the same God that I do. And the cardinals and the bishops and the yada yada. Now look, that ain't a problem in this church and thank God for it. And I'm not saying the worldliness is either. I think the worldliness is a lot of what's going on in people's personal lives. And they try to hide it. All right. Eight, but you, as for you, do not be called rabbi because you have one teacher and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father because you have one father who is in heaven. And do not be called masters either because you have one master, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. There, see, if you look over in uh, the first letter, he says to the church of Ephesus, this is the apostolic church, the apostles, man. This is the beginning. And they said, you do ha- you, yet you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Jesus said, I hate hierarchies. And yet man goes right along and does it. And it looks beautiful. We've got these beautiful churches. And that's the worldliness with the beautiful paintings and the basilicas and all this stuff. And it don't mean diddly squat to God. He's a, it's Satan. I better be careful. It appeals to man's senses and not to his spirit. Jesus is interested in what's in here. But, and here's the thing, we read the word and we don't do nothing with it. You got to believe it. All right. So, 
Here is the cool part. Therefore, repent, otherwise I will come against you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. What does the first uh, verse say? The one who has the sharp two-edged sword. And I think every one of these, and I haven't got it all, but I try. But each one of these sayings that he puts to each church has a purpose. There is a reason that he said the sharp two-edged sword. Now, I'm going to give you my opinion. The sharp two-edged sword is God's Word. God's Word. And sometimes the Word separates. It might separate you from your... What did Jesus say? He says, I come not to bring peace, but to bring a sword. Dividing family members. Divide. He says, whoever loves their mother and father more than me is not worthy. Think about that. That's heavy, man. Do you believe it? Think about it. Do you really believe it? All right, so he says he brings a sword. You separate from family, maybe, or friends. Separate something in your life. Sometimes the word cuts. And there's a reason he said that. Now, here's the cool part. Now, here's the, the encouragement, the, the little nugget at the end. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor some of the hidden manna. Hmm. I will give the victor some of the hidden manna. There is another sign of God's word. The manna. Jesus said, I am the bread of life that come down from heaven. And a lot of times you see bread as a idiom. Big word. Idiom for the word of God. And here, here also it speaks of a fellowship, a communion. Do we sit down with God's word, young people, everybody up in here? Do we sit here and do we feast on the manna? (laughs) Nobody's had it as good as us. We got the whole scripture. We got Bibles laying all over our house. Do you feast on the manna? So there's a relationship. As you grow as a Christian, you learn more. You understand more. And you get the feeling of that spirit and you're like, I know that spirit, and I know what he's telling me right now. And you grow, and you learn. Does God ever change? But he changed how he dealt with man. But is it because God changed? No, it's because the knowledge that man had was changing. He keeps revealing more. He keeps revealing more. He keeps revealing more. So what changes is our knowledge, and that's the same way in our Christian life. It's the same. We learn more. We learn. Uh, he says, uh, stop. Okay, that's cool. Because the one time you jumped over the line, and then he's like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have done that. But then the next time he says, stop, and you go, I'm cool. That's all right. <laughs> right? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, good. All right. And I think this is my personal opinion, and you may have another take. He says, I will also give him a stone with a new name inscribed on it that no one knows except the one who receives it. And I think it has to do with the manna. What kind of relationship? What if the name that he's going to put on that stone is the relationship that you and him had? That's heavy, man. Because he says, no one knows it except he himself. In my mind, I'm thinking it doesn't mean that nobody can understand it or read it. It means you're the only one that lived it. 
Just like when he says he is king of kings and lord of lords. He said nobody else knows that name but Jesus. He's the only one worthy of it. So the name that is on that stone, is it going to be what you're worthy of? What kind of relationship did you have with Jesus on earth? In my mind, this is how I think of the Christian life. This is like one big job interview. This is a job interview. (laughs) This is a little piece of time, but it's going to determine what I'm going to be doing in heaven. A lot of people think we're just going to be in heaven and we're going to all be together. He says, no, you will shepherd the nations. Look what he tells the church of Thyatira. He said, you will sit on my throne just as I sit with my father. You're going to be doing something. And that's what I think because Adam and Eve, he gave them a job. He didn't say, you know, go hang out and I'll feed you. He said, here, here's a job. But it wasn't toilsome until sin come in. I think it's the same way. This is one big job interview. So where... Are you going to be in the kingdom of heaven? If it depends on your relationship with Jesus. If your name depends on what your relationship is with Jesus, what's your name going to be? Only you and God know that. I hope this has been an encouragement because I ain't coming down on nobody. Lord knows. My wife knows. I need all the help I can get. But if I was to leave anything, I would say, read your Bible. And you know, I used to tell people about 10 or so years ago, read your Bible every day. And then as I kept going, I was like, Jesse, you don't read your Bible every day. So why are you telling other people to read your Bible every day? But here's the thing, man. Just do a little bit. Do something. Just a little bit. It works in reverse. The more we eat, the less we want. The scripture's the opposite. The less you read of it, the less you want of it. The more you read of scripture, the hungrier you get. You see what I'm saying? Think about that. It's the reverse of being hungry. So if you don't ever pick it up, you don't ever read it, you come to church once a month if you're lucky. <laughs> What kind of, what's your name going to be on your stone? <laughs> the mic job. Thank you, sir.